0: Well yesterday was uh, a little hot and steamy out, yes? How many of you went like to the pool or something like that yesterday, yeah? Um, My oldest son made a smart decision yesterday, he went to the movies yesterday. And there's nothing better on a 92 degree day than sitting in an ice cold movie theater, right? And I was reminded of all the huge uh, blockbuster movies that Americans tend to rally around During the summer months, Captain America, right? We've got our heroes. We have superheroes whose movies we watch often. We have The Incredible Hulk, and we have Iron Man, and Spider-Man, and pick your comic, especially if you're um, a guy, you probably read these stories, right, as a child. Um, I'm told this summer Jason Bourne comes back and some of you've been waiting for that and Ben-Hur and Tarzan and so many of these iconic cultural heroes we rally around in film. We are drawn as a dominant culture to stories of heroes, of great feats of strength, of great acts of leadership. And in real life we're often drawn to similar iconic figures. Most of us, when asked, could probably list off one of the following names as leadership gurus in our culture. John Maxwell, Peter Drucker, Stephen Covey, Sheryl Sandberg, Oprah. She doesn't even need a last name, right? Oprah just gets one name. We know her name, right? Jack Welsh, Dale Carnegie. Or... We've been involved in conversations where we maybe have heard the name in our history books or have been on the receiving end of some of the great work of folks like Jane Adams or Steve Jobs when he stood up that first day and showed the world the iPhone. We would say these are leaders. These are the people that get things done. When we talk about them, we might say they are movers and shakers. We might talk about how they have a public presence, about how they can think fast and speak fast and respond fast. And so we have been coached largely as a country, as a culture, to see the very public heroic acts of leadership as the acts of leadership to which we should be drawn. We should try to be like those leaders. I confess there are times in my life where I've wanted to be one of those people. Put me on TV, ask me my opinion. We follow magazines, we follow articles, we follow blogs where the work of these people is touted and we might say we wanna be like them. But is that the only way to be a leader? To be a giant public figure with some huge heroic act? And is that what God is calling all of us to? Are all of us to live large like that? Is God calling every single one of us to lead in the same exact way that we see others leading in our culture? Alan de says this, The interesting thing about success is that our ideas about what it would mean to live successfully are often not our own. And I thought that was an interesting comment because we often consider success the things like this that have been handed to us by our culture. And scripture tells us a different story in the life of Joseph about success and about leadership and about following God's plan for living out the things we've been given in our lives. If you're maybe new here this week or just kinda forgot where we were at, we have been studying the life of Joseph as it comes to us through the book of Genesis. And Joseph starts out not getting along well with his brothers. He's irritating to them. He's a young adolescent and he's been given a series of dreams and he brags about them to his brothers. He's the favored child, and he has no problem letting everybody know basically how awesome he is and how much he thinks that he is going to live a life that is better than his brothers. And his brothers are evil to him, flat-out evil. They consider killing him, and instead, they end up selling him off to slave traders. And he lands in Egypt, and lands into the house of Potiphar and rises to leadership in that house. Something has happened in his life that probably calmed him down a little bit. Getting sold off and betrayed by your brothers might do that to a person. And he wisely shows himself a capable man in the house of Potiphar and gets tangled up with his wife and falsely accused of a crime, lands in prison, finds himself in prison, and this is what we read about him in prison. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And on and on we go through the life of Joseph and find him in a position of power over seemingly small and insignificant things, making little decisions to do right and finding himself then in leadership. He was in prison for several years. And think about what it must have been like in an Egyptian prison centuries and centuries ago. A forgotten man in a forgotten place. And yet he chose to live his day-to-day faithfully in that place and suddenly rises to leadership. He later gets out of prison and rises in leadership, as we talked about last week, in Pharaoh's house. And is eventually given power over the distribution of food during a famine throughout all of Egypt. He is arguably the man of the most power in Egypt at that time. How did he end up like that? Was he the brazen, brash, heroic leader that we sort of rally around in our culture today? Or was he faithful, perhaps, With the little things. When he landed in prison, did it occur to him, one day I'm going to be in charge of all of Egypt? Probably not. He had been given a dream that indicated that could happen to him one day, but my guess is when he landed in prison, he thought, well, this didn't go exactly how I had it planned. (laughs) This may not have been exactly what I saw God doing, but I'm going to be faithful in what I've been given. A leadership blogger and author from Western University in Canada wrote a great article called Learning from Quiet Leaders, and he says this. Our preoccupation with heroes has three serious drawbacks. First, it distorts our understanding of leadership by telling us to think in terms of a pyramid. At the top are heroes and stars, at the bottom are shirkers, free riders, and worse. But where does this leave everyone else? Most people, most of the time, aren't saving the world or exploiting it. They're living their lives and trying to take care of the people around them. The same is true in organizations. Most of the attention goes to the movers and shakers, the hard chargers, the stars who lead turnarounds or make their numbers no matter what. But what about everyone else? Are they just cogs in the wheel? Is the world really divided into inspiring supermen and feckless Clark Kent's? Most of us land somewhere in the middle and are living Joseph-style lives. Maybe we're not in the places we wanted God to put us. Maybe we don't quite understand why we've ended up exactly where we are. And we have the opportunity before us every single day to make decisions and choices that honor God with what we've been given. How do you and I lead through the everyday moments of our lives, not for our glory, but for God's glory? Scripture is filled with the names of so many people who did mighty things in the name of God. But there are also dozens upon dozens of people who've done marvelous things in the name of God whose names are never, ever mentioned in the Bible. How important is it for you to have your name attached to what you do? Did you know when you look at Scripture, think of the Christmas story we tell every year that has been told for centuries worldwide. We don't know the name of the three wise men, do we? The three magi. Why don't we know their first and last name? Why don't we have a map of the stars, right, or a tour of Nashville to go find where the country music stars live? Why don't we have that stuff for those guys? How about the woman at the well? What was her name? I wish I knew. The good Samaritan. Noah's wife. Her husband came home and said, "Babe, we're going to build a boat." <laughs> I wonder what she said in response to him. There was probably a conversation that happened in that house. What what did she think? Why don't we know her name? Pharaoh's daughter, the one who pulls Moses up out of the reeds is never named, the carpenters who build the ark, Gideon's 300 soldiers, the 70 that Jesus sends out, 70 men that he sends out to do his good work. We don't have a list of their names. The wise steward, the leper, the paralytic. We don't have the names of those folks. How important is it to have our name attached to what we're doing? Is it about making a name for ourselves, or is it about humbly, faithfully leading in the little things, no matter what it adds up to as far as our name or our notoriety. C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. You know, I confess that I fall into this trap in our Christian culture, we have iconic figures as well. We have personalities that we know, household names in our faith, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, Ann Elliott, Beth Moore. And as a person who spends time communicating, at least trying to communicate God's word and doing a little bit of writing here and there, I confess there have been times where I have wanted to be those people. I have wanted to be a Beth Moore sort of person. I'm just going to say that. And I, and I would write things, and I would sit with my friends, and we would write things together, and go, we're going to be big like that one day. One day, we'll have Bible studies that the entire planet <laughs> will be doing. One day, I'm going to preach up a storm like Dan Meyer, right? It's gross when I get around with my friends and we say these things. And we would be so envious of friends of ours that would sort of make it big with their little projects. I remember we had a friend in our community that we would write with. We would get together with 12 women and just talk about our writing. And one of them landed a five-minute spot on Good Morning America. And we should have celebrated it, and we were all about to pass out with envy. (laughs) Because I wanted George Stephanopoulos to call me and ask me to be on GMA. It's not, it's not what the Christian faith and the leadership of a faith-filled life is about. The point of living our lives isn't so that our name is on the project at the end. It's so that God is glorified with the little things that we do that add up over a lifetime to great faith, great change sometimes in the lives of others, great leadership, even if the only person you're leading is maybe the son or the daughter or the spouse or the cousin or the friend who's come to you and asked you to help them find their way through something. Joseph's life was a series of faithful choices. You know, when Potiphar's wife came to him, very interested in a particular sort of relationship with him, And he said no to that, that cost him something. He made a faithful decision and he landed in prison. And while he was there, he could have been angry that he was there, he could have sulked in the corner and he chose instead to be the best version of himself in that horrible place. And he interpreted the dream of a fellow prisoner And after he did that, he said to that person, hey, now that I've told you this, when you get out of here, because that's what my interpretation of your dream is, that you're going to get out of this place, would you remember me? Would you just remember me so that I can get out of here too? completely forgot about him. He could have been angry about that. He could have sought revenge over that. And he didn't. He kept on, and he led faithfully from prison. And when all of Egypt later comes to him for food because he... Is out of prison and is now in charge of all of Pharaoh's storehouses, the only way to access food was through Joseph. He could have said, I need a couple bucks on the side, a little extra money. How, how hungry are you? Because I've got access to all the storehouses of Egypt. He could have very easily tried to secure his own future and instead opened with generosity the storehouses of Egypt to feed the hungry. And later, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks, when his brothers that betrayed him and wounded him so deeply with such dysfunction and anger, when they came later to him asking for grain because they were hungry, he met his family and he met their needs. He made a consistent string of faithful choices. And I don't know the mind of Joseph, but my guess is that every time he was faced with one of those decisions, he was not thinking to himself, well, how famous is this going to make me? How big will my name be? How many likes will I get on Facebook if I post this? Instead, he did the next thing. And that is what we all have in front of us each day. We may think of fame or stardom. We may want to be the high achiever in our company. We might want to graduate the top of the class. I've got kids that are spread out all over the western suburbs in sports, and as a parent, I want to see them dominate every game. I just do. (laughs) But that's not what this is about. It's not about how big your name is, how big your team is, what your GPA is, what your title is, whether you have the corner office or the basement office. It's not about that. It's about how faithful you are with the little things that you have been given so that at the end of your life you are known as a man or a woman of great faith and great service to God. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 17, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you have just a small seed of faith that God will do what he says he will do through you, you can do all things. In Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. And there's three guys, and Jesus gives them all A bag of gold, (laughs) and says, go, make something of this. And two of them go off and invest, and one buries it in the dirt. And Jesus comes back, and he praises, he praises those who've invested and been faithful with the little things. And he says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Come and share, you have been faithful with a few things. Friends, most of us, every day, simply have the opportunity to be faithful with the few things that have been before us. And if we spend our lives chasing the famous and celebrating only the heroic, gigantic stories that our culture tells us, we will miss the fact that we are everyday leaders in our communities, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, on our athletic fields, in our arts, whatever it might be, we are leading every single day in beautiful ways. So a couple quick thoughts on what that means. How do you do that? The first is just this quick thought, lead like you. (laughs) Lead how you're designed to lead. Trust that what God is doing in you is valuable to this world. You know, Andy Crouch says that all of us will string together sentences and say things that nobody else in the world will ever say. We will have a set of ideas and thoughts and words that come out of our mouth that no human being who ever has been or ever will be will say. Those are our contributions To God's world there is only one version of you and if you spend your life trying to be somebody else we the rest of the world will miss the kingdom good that you were meant to bring so lead like you don't try to be somebody else yes there's ideas that can come from others I'm offering ideas right now right it's not to say we shouldn't take the ideas that others have but put them into your own context and into your own life. One of the greatest tragedies we can do to God is to wish we were somebody other than who he made us to be. Lead like you. Second, do the next thing. Don't think about what you're going to do 10 years from now when all these other things happen. We live our lives so often. David Brooks always talks about this in the future tense. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When I get through this, when I get through that, when I get through this, then this will happen. No. You have today, you have whatever's coming this afternoon. When you leave here today, what's the next thing? Is there a conversation you maybe need to have in this building right before you leave today? That that's the next thing God has given you to do. A prayer for somebody, an embrace of a new friend, a conversation that you're not quite sure you want to have but you kind of feel like you should, an invitation you should extend for brunch a person who lives near you that might just need to come on over and put their feet up on your back deck tonight. Do the next thing. Don't think always in the future tense. The third thing is lead for the mission. I always um, laugh and think of the Blues Brothers, right? We're on a mission from God. Jake and Elwood Blues used to say this, right? But you are on God's mission. You are not on your own mission. The reason why we want to become better leaders is not so that we can make a good name for ourselves. It is so that the mission of God is found in its fullness in this world. And our mission is to make that happen here, this side of heaven. It is not to just survive life here so that we can get out of here and be somewhere else later. It's so that we can make justice and mercy and hope and peace present here on earth. We are prophets of what God wants to do at the end of time and he wants to do it now through us. That is what we are leading for and that is a brilliant and beautiful mission. So lead for the mission of God and not your own ends. And lastly, take the time to discern Ask the people around you, if you have the guts, this is not an easy thing to do, what do you you think I'm supposed to be doing with my life? What do you you see are the things I can bring to the table? Would you pray for me because I think I might want to lead this next thing. I think I might want to give to this organization. I think I might want to invite those people into my life. Share your ideas and your wonderings and your prayers with other people discern what it is that God has next for you. Those are just a few ideas. I think one of the temptations in leadership conversations is to take the book about the five ways to do this and the ten ways to do that, or the four things that the preacher put on the screen, and think, okay, aha, that's it. Now I'll achieve if I get that. And those may help you, and I hope they do, but if not, Scripture is full of stories of people who've led in all sorts of ways. And our invitation in this congregation is that you would find God's leadership purposes for you. Take the small thing that you've been given to do and be faithful to it so that at the end of our days, God may look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servants. You all have been faithful with the little things that I have given you, the people The ideas, the prayers, the smiles, whatever it might be. And now, come share in the goodness that is life with me. The greatest leadership call any of us can ever have is to know that we are leading in the name of the God of the universe, right? We are leading in the name of Jesus. And so while we are faithful with small things, it is because... We fall under the biggest thing there is, and that is the love and the grace and the ultimate leadership over all things of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Awesome. Friends, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that all of us are here. It is no mistake, we are here this morning. There are things, God, you have for us because we have shared this time together. Lord, we pray now that you would make us faithful in the little things. Help us look around with fresh eyes to see the people and the places that you have called us to. Help us lose our desire for heroic names and massive titles and instead think to ourselves of what it's like to lead under your heroic name. Bless this group as they head out this day and move towards you in small ways. In Jesus' name, amen.